Hey, Travis. Yes, Corey. It's been a great year for Golden Sparrow Media. We've added so many great shows. Not to mention the work we've put together taking over Triplecast. Very true, Travis. And now it's time for GSM listeners to help us by giving our shows a podcast awards nomination for 2015. Yes, listeners can submit only one nomination ballot per email address. This means that once you submit your ballot, you cannot revise it or submit another one unless you do another ballot with a different email address. Indeed, and do not nominate a podcast in multiple categories because if you do, the ballot will not count. The only exception is to nominate a podcast in either People's Choice or Best Produced and one other category. So we ask that you nominate us in the following categories. Stuff I learned yesterday for people's choice using URL goldenspiralmedia.com slash stuff. Arrow Squad for best produced using the URL goldenspiralmedia.com slash arrow. Stuff I learned yesterday for general using URL goldenspiralmedia.com slash stuff. And the blacklist exposed for entertainment using the URL goldenspiralmedia.com slash blacklist thank you for listening to gsm and let's hope we can bring home a win this year that would just be so swell today we're talking about the dead zone Part of the GSM crossover triple cast. I think you're gonna like it. It's about psychics and coma diets. to Triplecast. I'm Corey, and today I have my special guest, Karen. Say hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us on this very special GSM crossover edition of the Triplecast. And um, today we're talking about the Dead Zone. Yes. As a part of a, a crossover between, I guess, Under the Dome and Sleepy Hollow, two shows that you cover I on know. GSM. I, I was actually reminded when I rewatched The Dead Zone that he does talk about Washington Irving novels <laughs> in this. He mentions Sleepy Hollow. So it's kind of both of the podcasts I do for yeah. Golden Spiral Media, which is interesting. The perfect but, uh, uh, crossover to start with, really. But we actually um, talked about doing Stephen King as this triple cast, which yeah. is a tie-in to my Under the Dome podcast for... Golden Spiral Media, which is Chester's Milk Gazette. Yes, very exciting and a great podcast. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, so this is something new for Triplecast and, uh, you know, we're giving it a try. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about three Stephen King adaptations with you. And I chose some interesting Stephen King movies. You did indeed. (laughs) Not the ones that slide right off the tongue when you think of Stephen King movies. (laughs) I'm sure they're going to be good all the same. They are. They're all good. No maximum overdrives here. Oh, what a shame. All good ones. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, let's uh, begin the show where we uh, tend to always begin and uh, talk about a couple of trailers that we have seen this week. Uh, so uh, what would you catch? I watched the Fantastic Four reboot trailer and I'm doing um, air quotes. 
It's kind of a teaser. Um, it didn't really show anything. I was underwhelmed. I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I liked the last reboot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was fine with those. I don't know why they're revisiting it unless they want to roll it into the Avengers universe. So if, I, if that's what they're doing, then... Cool. Well, I think it's probably a rights issue. They they have to make another one or risk losing the rights to be right. able to make it. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's cool if that's what they're doing. But it, whatever the teaser, I mean, if that's, I, I feel like they either rushed to get this teaser out. You know, they didn't have a lot of content for it. So I wasn't mm-hmm. really impressed. But that's the only one I saw. So, yeah. meh. Well, yeah, it is. It's a wait and see. Really. Right. <laughs> But um, I managed to see the Ted 2 trailer. I saw that it existed. I haven't seen it yet. Have you seen the first Ted movie? Yes. Hilarious. Yeah. So so Seth MacFarlane, you know you're going to get good value. I love Seth MacFarlane. I think this one will probably be more of the same, but hey, it's funny, so why not? Right, right. (laughs) And Mark Wahlberg was good in it, too. Um, Yeah, he, he, he does comedy in this, like, super weird dry yet hysterical way he's a good straight man yeah for a teddy bear i mean he was (laughs) it's hard to explain but he was good in it so yeah exactly and um movies in theaters this week and this (laughs) is the well the last two weeks for me okay yeah none we took last week's off and uh you haven't seen anything no i was in the hospital for one week uh, so that's bad and then uh, this last week, I just did not go out of the house. So, no. Actually, I did go out of the house, but not to see a movie. Yeah. So, no. No movies. Well, I've, <laughs> I've seen a few things because I tend to see a lot of stuff in the theater. But I won't go over them all. But what I will mention is a couple of the Oscar nom movies. And that's American Sniper and The Imitation Game. And uh, The Imitation Game was fantastic. I mean... Benedict Cumberbatch, man. Mm. He, he see, I think he's in everything now. Like, yeah, I regular, know, right? He's a regular Samuel L. Jackson. He's like, what, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> I saw that he's in the new Penguins movie. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? But I um, high recommend on Imitation Game. He does a fantastic Cool. How about there. American Sniper? Uh, you know. Not as much? Maybe Yeah, this may be unpopular opinion, but. It wasn't my thing. Okay. Really. Well, that's not an unpopular opinion if it's not your thing. Really? Yeah. No. <laughs> if it's not your uh, thing, it's not your thing. I mean. Yeah. Uh, I get the guys considered like a war hero and stuff. Sure. But, uh, yeah. Well, the story just wasn't as engaging as I, as it could have been, I guess. My opinion is that I'd like to see it. I don't know that I want to see it in the theater. Mm. But my real opinion is. That the controversy over it is that if you will go see a World War II movie and think it's okay, then you can't be a hypocrite and say that this one isn't. Yeah, that's a so, good point. That's just my little two cents I want to throw out there. Yeah, but for a Clint Eastwood <laughs> movie too, I was a bit like, mm, not seriously? as good. Yeah, yeah. So like, if if you liked Band of Brothers, where you know Tom Hanks dies and they save another guy like his life is worth something and tom hanks isn't you know Mm. then you gotta accept american sniper you just have to you know (laughs) that's just my opinion (laughs) and that might not be (laughs) 
popular oh, either. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I did see that you grabbed um, some, some DVDs or Blu-rays this week. Well, that I've seen. Mm. I owned Guardians of the Galaxy already, but I watched it again this week. Because yeah, I did the same. Addicted to Guardians of the Galaxy. I love that movie. I'm so in love with Chris Pratt. (laughs) (laughs) Parks and Rec came back a few weeks ago, and Mm. he is just fantastic on that show, and it makes me want to watch him in Guardians of the Galaxy (laughs) every time I see him on that. So, And I saw Gone Girl for the first time. Ah, what do you reckon? This week. It's a well-made movie. I read the Mm. book as well. It's not a feel-good I have to oh, say that. No, 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 no. Um, it, don't go into it thinking that you're going to have a resolution that that you like. <laughs> I mean, it's not really that kind of movie. It's um, If you have ever heard the term unreliable narrator, this mm. is like unreliable every character. <laughs> um, so, yeah, don't trust anything you say or hear. Right. Ever. Right. So, I mean, it's a really intriguing concept. It's so well written, um, well executed, but, you know, don't think you're going to really like any character. There's hardly anyone to like in it, but it's just a, it's really. That's what makes it so good. Right. You like everyone because you can't like anyone. Right. Right. (laughs) And the story's really good. It's nice and twisty and it's a good mystery and you I knew kind of what was, I, I mean, the end is different from the book, but you kind of mm. get the gist of it if you've read the book. Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't shocked by anything, but, it, you know, it's just really, she's a really good writer. Mm. So Totally agree. Yeah. How about you? No, I didn't get anything this week. Oh. Too, too busy Netflixing old... Um, 80s teen comedies like uh, Better Off Dead. <laughs> Which we discussed a little bit. <laughs> I want my $2. My $2. $2. Oh, I love it. So funny. Well, getting into this week's movie, which is The Dead Zone from 1983. Yep. Not the TV uh, show. Not the TV show. The, the, the movie. Mm-hmm. Do you have a movie memory? For I, this. I do. Go I for it. do. I watched this. Okay. Here's where I'm going to school you, youngster. Okay. Um, back when cable used to have a dial <laughs> where we turn it to channel A or channel B. I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing, but I'm not kidding. Yeah. Um, Greece was on one and the dead zone was on the other. We watched the dead zone. I have two brothers. They're quite a bit older than me one of them is like nine years older and the other one's 13 years older so we watched the dead zone and it was like you know i'll let you watch it if your brothers watch it with you was like my parents (laughs) and i had already seen alien and alien was um i was mature for my age i was um i guess middle school ish just headed out of middle school and um alien It didn't scare me except for the cat jumping out. (laughs) The cat jumping out was like, I wet my pants when I watched that. I called it my pants wettingest moment in my life up to that point. Um, It wasn't the alien at all Mm. that scared me. It wasn't the coming out of the chest. It wasn't it. Just the cat jumping out was the scariest thing ever. (laughs) And so the dead zone didn't scare me in that way. It was more like a creepy 
sort of thing. Mm. Like it made you think back to it a couple days later as a that age kind of person. Yeah. Um, thinking back to it as like I'm a psychic and I'm seeing all these horrible things and the kids falling into the water as we'll discuss later. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, weird images and things like that. So yeah, that was weird. And my brothers would like tease me, don't fall into the water. You know, we didn't have ice because I lived in California, but you know, it was, it was things like that. So they would still live in fear of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, I don't anymore, but although I can't swim, so <laughs> I do kind of fear drowning, but yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's get into a little film history here. Let's do. We have written by Jeffrey Bowen for the screenplay, of course, adapted from the Stephen King novel. Correct. And directed by a director I wouldn't have picked to have directed this, David <laughs> Cronenberg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like after, like if you didn't know he directed it and you watched it, you would not pick David Cronenberg. No, to have legendary this movie. director David Cronenberg. So, um, a bit of a different pace for him if you've seen <laughs> any of his other films. Yeah. But um, do you want to take the starring list? Sure. Uh, starring again, legendary Christopher Walken as the lead character Johnny Smith, uh, Brooke Adams as his younger person love Sarah Bracknell, Tom Skerritt as Sheriff Bannerman, Herbert Lom, um, also a very legendary actor, although not a lot of people knew him, as Dr. Sam Wyzak, Anthony Zerbe as Roger Stewart, the aforementioned father of the hockey team. Uh, Martin Sheen as the nefarious Greg Stilson. And Nicholas Campbell as also a nefarious person, Frank Dodd. Mm, just nefarious people all over this yep. movie. Well, those two, those two mostly, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anthony Zerbe was nefarious, but only partly so. Partly so. <laughs> yes. And we have music by Michael Kamen. Now, you actually have some info on this man. Yes, I do. Very influential. He unfortunately passed away um, in the early 2000s. Um, 2003, he had a heart attack. But he scored a lot of films. The original X-Men movies, um, Iron Giant, What Dreams May Come, a little bit of Earth to the Moon. He worked a lot with Tom Hanks stuff. Um, the whole Lethal Weapon franchise, the whole Die Hard franchise, and most notably, Mr. Holland's Opus. And he founded the Mr. Holland's Opus Foundation, um, and I'm just going to throw this out there, mhopus.org. And it supports music education and its benefits through donation and repair of musical instruments to underserved schools, community music programs, and individual students throughout the United States. And that... It was a huge deal, you know, when it came out. It There was a big thing at the end of the movie about him founding that yeah. that uh, foundation. It's It was like his one of his legacies that he left behind. Um, his score for The Dead Zone is an adaptation of and a variation on a theme from the second movement of the symphony. Number two in D of the Finnish composer Jean Sibelius. And he co-wrote songs with Brian Adams. Um, his credit on the X-Men soundtrack was Michael K-Men, which I found <laughs> amusing as well. And he's a British. I mean, that's yeah. not a big deal. But I love all his credits, and it's amazing how varied 
his writing style was. Um, mm. He did like some military stuff and then action. And then Iron Giant and What Dreams May Come are very dreamy and and yeah, very uh, soft ethereal. And... Yeah. So yeah. just amazing. I mean, uh, you, you think of John Williams as like an iconic name and you can pick him out. But Michael yeah. Kamen did some really notable stuff and not many people know his name. So I just kind of mm. wanted to mention his stuff. Yeah, good stuff. And, um, I, you know, we don't usually go this deep into the the background, but I did want to bring up the producers of this film because I think they're quite notable when it comes to at least triple cast. Please do. So, so this film is produced by Dino De Laurentiis mm. and Deborah Hill. So long-time listeners of Triple Cast know that the first set that I co-hosted on was with Daryl a couple of Halloweens ago. We discussed horror films from John Carpenter. And, of course, Deborah <laughs> Hill produced most of John Carpenter's films. Right. But uh, Dino was responsible for bringing Halloween to the screen. Right. Um, he wasn't, a, you know, a credited producer during production, but he helped bring it to the screens. So later... John Carpenter would direct another film we covered in that series, which was Christine, mm-hmm. another Stephen King adaptation right? with Deborah Hill. So, you know, Dino was right in with making Stephen King adaptations, producing Stephen King adaptations. He produced most of the films in the Night Shift collection. Right. Uh, it's a series of short stories made into films, including things like Children of the Corn, Maximum Overdrive, like you mentioned before, <laughs> yeah. Cat's Eye. So, um, yeah, you know, it's quite, um, he's, he's quite big in there. And, of course, teaming up here again with Deborah Hill to, uh, to produce this film, The Dead Zone, which I think may actually be the first one that he did. I think so, too. I think this yeah. is the earliest out of those. Yeah. And in my opinion, probably the best out of all the ones you mentioned. Oh, I don't know. I do love Christine. No, okay. Maybe Christine. <laughs> Christine is good. A lot of the films that he produced in the Stephen King collection were a lot of hit and miss, really. They were either really, really good or just a bit... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So, Christine, this one probably as well. Yeah. I kind of dug And Children of the Corn. I I like Children of the Corn. Children of the Corn has its value. I'll give you that. And I thought Cat's Eye was pretty good, but weird. Mm, Very weird. Yeah. All right, so moving on into the history, we do have a budget of $10 million for this film, and it grossed $20,766,000. So it more than doubled its budget, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, a success. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, I put a note in the document <laughs> that we're collaborating on here, and I said it's a pretty good take considering the budget, the content, and the year. Yeah, I mean, 83. Yep. Yes, uh, that's a pretty decent return. And the fact that it was a kind of a under-the-radar picture, it wasn't really yeah. a big budget sort of, hey, we're in your face, it wasn't a Star Wars or anything like that. Yeah, you know, they could have easily just, um, you know, not given it a wide release and just pushed it onto VHS, which would have been, you know, a, a real upcoming thing to happen at the time. Right. So, yeah, that's pretty decent. Good mm-hmm. stuff. And awards and accolades... Uh, we have the Academy of Science Fiction of Fantasy and Horror Films of the USA, 1984, better known as the Saturns. Yeah. It did win for the best horror film. Yep. That's a big deal. Yeah. So that's not too bad. And it was also nominated in the Best Actor category, Christopher Walken, Best Director, David Cronenberg, and Best Writing for Jeffrey Bowen. So, yep. yeah. 
you know, they did pretty good that year. They did. Of course, no, no Oscar nominations. As no. The, the Academy's going to give a, <laughs> no. a horror film a, uh, well, it's, it's not a horror, but suspense film. Right. There's been a couple, but not many. I mean, Silence yeah. of the Lambs being the most notable, but really the Dead Zone doesn't fall into that same category. No, I don't think so. No. <laughs> and you can get it. Where can you get it uh, to watch well, you it? You can't. Netflix. Oh, okay. <laughs> Should I mention Netflix, Netflix on DVD only, not streaming, right? Yes, Netflix DVD, Amazon Instant. You can rent or purchase it there. That's streaming, right? Um, I believe so. I don't have Amazon Instant. Okay. But, uh, this is the information I have gathered. Okay, I think it's streaming. Um, iTunes for rent or purchase, Vudu for rent or purchase as well. So okay. it's out there. You know, it's not too hard to find. Nope. It's a good movie. I have it on DVD, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it online. Oh, okay. Cool. So shall I, do you want me to read the plot? Yeah, if you want to take the plot from IMDb, we'll get into the main feature. After awakening from a five-year coma, the result of a serious car accident on his way home from an outing with his girlfriend, high school teacher Johnny Smith finds that he has developed the ability to foretell events. When his doctor and confident... Confidant, sorry. Dr. Sam Wyzak touches him. He has flashbacks to the trauma Wyzak suffered when separated from his mother during World War II, but also knows that the woman lives in a nearby city. Johnny also finds himself pining for his girlfriend, Sarah Bracknell, who has now married and has a young child. With his powers misunderstood, Johnny relocates and tries to put it all behind him, working out of his home as a tutor. However, when he shakes the hand of a young and upcoming political candidate, he is confronted with evidence that the man will, as President of the United States, launch a cataclysm that may destroy all of mankind. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the, only, the only thing, the only nit I have with that is that uh, Wysak's mother wasn't in a nearby city, but whatever. I don't know. She was just alive, that's all. Yeah, that's true. That's really not in the, the plot of the film, is Right, it? no. He just picks up the phone and calls her, that's all. Yeah, we don't know where she lives. Right. She could be back in Germany for a while. You would think if, if she was in a nearby city, he would drive and see her. But yeah, just go and see her. Whatever. <laughs> she lives two doors down. Otherwise, oh, that's know. a good summary. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so some uh, production notes and trivia. We have... Cronenberg fired a .357 Magnum loaded with blanks <laughs> Three, just off camera. .357 Magnum. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he fired a .357 Magnum. <laughs> a .357 Magnum loaded with blanks just off camera to make Smith's flinches seem more involuntary. This was Christopher Walken's own idea. Yeah. Very plausible. <laughs> I could see him saying that. Now what you do is you take this gun... <laughs> And you just fire it off I camera. I love your expression. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Thank you. I'm going to have to come up with an impression for the next movie. I think I could probably do it. Awesome. And Bill Murray was Stephen King's choice for the part of Johnny, which would have made for an interesting movie, I think. Mm, 1983 Bill Murray, definitely. So, uh... <laughs> So she may be a Cinderella hockey team. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, all you go to is you go to, to Caddyshack. 
<laughs> All right. So during the time Michael Kamen was composing the music for the film in London, he would play the score on the piano in his home. He received several complaints by uh, his neighbors who asked, can you please stop playing that music? I can't sleep and it's giving my family nightmares. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Uh, it is an ominous score. It the, is. Especially, yeah, the opening part. It is. Uh, it's not exactly violence going, ee, 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 but, it, you know, I can see where people might be upset. The sweat on Christopher Walken's face during the burning bedroom sequence was, in fact, a flame retardant chemical that had been sprayed onto him. The resulting effect, which hadn't been anticipated, looked surprisingly dramatic on film. He was wet in that scene, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. <laughs> May as well just throwing a bucket of water on him. Yeah, and it it did look pretty real. Yeah, yeah, it was well done. Mm-hmm. All right, so this film and Stephen King's novel are both loosely based upon the life of famous psychic Peter Hercos. Hercos claimed to have acquired his alleged powers after falling off a ladder and hitting his head. So alleged mm. powers? Come alleged. on, Stephen King would never. <laughs> Base it on embellish the truth. No, never. (laughs) Written in 1979, this novel by Stephen King was the first book to go number one on the bestseller list in hardcover. A milestone for King, who said it was one of my most successful ever. It was 428 pages. (laughs) <laughs> that, that's light for a Stephen King book. It is. I understand this is the book he wrote after The Stand, though, as well. So Yes. Um, the last Stephen King book I read, I think it was Mr. Mercedes, was over 800 pages. So just to put that in perspective there, twice yes. the length of this book. <laughs> All right. So one rejected ending had Johnny Smith survive being gunned down and predicting a knife attack against his girlfriend while in the hospital, then slipping back into a coma and dying. So that, Hmm. um, yeah, that seems like a lot of useless twists, really. I can see why they rejected that ending. Yeah, unnecessary. (laughs) Plus, that really is a lot, especially since she wasn't his girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. So that would have been, you know, him actually getting back together with her. And, oh, that's a lot of stuff. Um, In the nuclear war scene, Greg Stilson played by Martin Sheen, threatens to hack off someone's hand and put it on the scanning screen. Spoiler alert! (laughs) An earlier version of the script actually had Stilson shooting the man and putting his dead hand on the screen. Now that would have been something I would have paid to see big time. Which I did actually pay to see it. The president just shoots someone. Hey, well, you know, if that was necessary... (laughs) I'm nodding my head. Yeah. In the final scene, when Sarah is crying and hugging Johnny, we hear her stop crying for a few seconds to tell Johnny that she loves him. But since her mouth is obscured, we don't actually see her say it. The original script did not have her saying this. Her voice was dubbed in later in order to have some closure for Johnny. Oh. All right, so getting into our discussion of this film, you know, it is not at all what I thought it was going to be. Oh, that's interesting. Like looking at the cover and then the name, The Dead Zone. Yeah. um, And being Stephen King, you just think it's going to be something really off the wall, crazy stupid. Okay. (laughs) And this is a bit more grounded, I think. Yeah, it is. For a Stephen King. 
I mean, it's pretty basic. Guy hurts himself and then wakes up with psychic powers. Right. There's no time travel, no talking cars, no... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My point, exactly. Exactly. So I was quite surprised. Good. But, um, you know, knowing a bit more about the outside production, that this became a TV series, you can really see that. Because this movie's awfully episodic, isn't it? Yes. Like, you could easily break this up into about three episodes of a TV show. Sure. Yeah, and it it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. But if you were to make that into an arc, which is what the TV series did, you could place little episodes in between that arc like the TV series did with him touching people and getting these yeah. visions. And so, yeah, it was a pretty easy leap to the small screen i thought yeah and i'm assuming like the big overall arc would have been the stilson storyline like yes like that would have been yeah exactly <laughs> it was yes definitely but that's what i although mean although they didn't really reveal it quickly mm. it was very very slow to be revealed on the show well how long did the show run for uh three and a half years something like that oh, okay so it had a decent it was run. quite long um, and it was really, really good. Um, his his psychic powers were slightly different. He did have an accident. He was in love with a girl um, and lost her. Um, but there was something with his cane where his cane had some sort of connection. And uh, it was, you know, a little more uh, paranormally. Yeah. And it was kind of like the return of... Oh, I can't remember the actor's name. He played the geeky kid in The Breakfast Club. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Anthony Michael um, Hall? Thank you, yes. yes. Um, it was the return of, of Anthony Michael Hall where it was like... It, it felt like overnight he turned from this geeky kid to this like kind of cut adult. Um, <laughs> you know, grown up, bulky adult. And, um, it was um, an interesting transition where, you know, you... To me, I was like, wow. Okay, first of all, I loved the movie, The Dead Zone. So, you know, I wanted to watch the TV show and I was like, okay, that cannot be Anthony Michael Hall. (laughs) It just is not Anthony Michael Hall. But uh, it was a, I thought it was a very faithful adaptation Mm. considering, you know, you have to kind of allow for some leeway when it goes to the small screen. But it it really did kind of take all the major elements from the movie and translate them. Yeah. And I'm so sure, I, you know, after watching this movie, I am kind of intrigued to go and watch that uh, TV series now. I would. Yeah. So I, I have re- to track I, it down. I highly recommend it. Well, you know, within the, the context of the film and uh, and Johnny's ability to, to be a psychic, it's a bit of a slow burn of, of an opening. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I know you've got a note here about it, but it's kind of like, he gets this headache when he takes Sarah out on, on the roller coaster. And yep. I didn't notice that until I watched it the second time because, it, you know, it was my first time watching it for this podcast. And I watched it a second time just, just yesterday. And, you know, I noticed that, that part at the beginning that I'd forgotten about. So it is a little strange, you know, whether or not he was born with this, whether it took the, the accident to, to sort of bring it out in him. So what were your thoughts? Yeah, my theory is that the accident and the coma kind of woke up the ability that he naturally had. Um, Stephen King has themes like that in mm. his books that 
some sort of traumatic event triggers a natural ability and the headaches were his body trying to reject it right. you notice that when he's not getting these visions that's when he's having the headaches you know when he has a vision he doesn't have a headache it's it's just when he's sitting down and not having a vision that he's getting really bad headaches right so it's like his body is saying you're not having a vision I want to get rid of this ability yeah let's, let's purge it yeah let it out right so I felt like that's what was happening. That's my theory on it. It could mean a million different things. But I really do think that the headache that happens before he gets in the accident is kind of that foreshadowing of he has the ability, the accident simply activates it. Or perhaps he needed that five years and the angst that comes with losing all of that time and his relationships and all that stuff, that kind of activates it as well. He needs that separation in order to be able to do what he needs to do. Yeah. And this kind of leads me to to a point about this film in that, it, like I said, it feels episodic and it could be broken up into about three episodes. But, you know, if this film was made today, I think that they would at least break it up into two films and be the first, the first story is like the origin story, right? Mm-hmm. Where he gains the power, he loses the girl, and then the, the rest of the movie would be about getting the girl back and maybe finding this serial killer. Right. Okay. So I think that would be the first movie. And then the second movie would be Johnny and, you know, this political drama with the quote unquote future president, no nuclear war and all that. And that would be movie number two, you know. This movie just kind of, it goes up and down and then off to the right and you're like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for back then... They were, you know, going along with the book. And I mean, it was unheard of that you would split a book into Mm. more than one movie. Yeah. (laughs) And now, of course, it's that's kind of the norm. Yeah. (laughs) To split a book off into like a zillion parts. Yeah. But, um, you know, I still think it's good. I mean, like Johnny, Johnny gets in this crash and that was an odd crash, by the way, the milk truck. Like, that thing just seemed to skid for about five minutes before hitting Johnny. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I hand wave that as, well, it must be on an incline. Yeah. You know, I'm just like, okay, sure, whatever. (laughs) Um, I would have rather seen a head-on collision. Yeah. I think that would have been more believable or a T-bone or something. The one thing that I enjoy about that scene is that he was in a original VW bug, right? Which brings back happy memories for me. <laughs> um, they stopped making those at one point. I don't know if you know that at all. No, I, I did know that. Um, okay, my parents. So they used stopped to own making one. those, <laughs> and then they restarted making them again. Um, they kept making them in Mexico, however. <laughs> they never stopped making them in Mexico, but uh, it was cool to see that again—a a, a real. VW bug. Nice. Um, and he definitely would not have survived that crash. Probably not, no. <laughs> he smashes so, right ag- into it. Again, uh, it's another sign to me that he was meant to use that gift mm. 
that perhaps he wouldn't have survived. Yeah, and it it does lead to a great scene when uh, when Tom Skerritt shows up as the sheriff mm-hmm. and asks him to come and join a, a murder investigation. And he says, well, you know, if God has blessed you with this gift, then maybe you should use it. And he just loses it about how miserable his life is. God took away his girl, took away his job. His legs are nearly useless. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it does, and it takes Sarah coming back to him to sort of get him motivated. And you notice that, again, this is another theme that Stephen King uses is the religion angle. It's not hammered over your head in this one. His parents mention religion. The minor bad guy's family talks about religion, his mother. And um, he and Tom Skerritt discuss religion as well. So there's a, a few little religion references in this. It's not a big plot point. It's not an axle that the movie rests on or anything. But some people think that his his um, abilities are given by God, and some people think that they're given to him by the devil. And he just curses them completely, that he doesn't think they're given to him by anything. You could, you could almost say that... Um his religion or his beliefs are responsible for him uh, being in the crash in the first place because the reason he is in the crash is because he won't sleep with Sarah. Right. Uh, which kind of... That you she's know, worth yeah, waiting for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Knowing his parents and their beliefs that they may have instilled, you know, this this sanctity of marriage kind of belief in him. So, And whether he does it because he is religious or just that he believes that she's worth waiting for, mm-hmm. you know... Th- it might not be a religious thing for him, just a goodness thing, you know, that that might be the reason why, you know, who knows? I think it's funny that the woman who is the bad person thinks that the gift is given to him by the devil. I laughed out loud when she said that too. And I'm like, the whole purpose of this scene is that he's found out that you knew that your son was killing women. Right. And I'm the devil? I mean, come on. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you knew she was going to bite it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean she yeah. comes out with that gun and shoots him. Right. Jeez. Oh, some people. I mean, like, yeah. just stab some me in the people. face. Just stab yeah. me in the face now. Um, but no, it is. I mean, that whole sequence is really good. And there is... There is one shot when he first um, is taken out by the police and they're in that like wet, dank tunnel. Mm-hmm. And that is just a, a beautiful shot yeah. from a c- cinematography angle. They've got, I agree. Like, like the car lights shining into it and everything's just wet and the snow's all sludgy. Yeah. Um, just a beautiful shot. And he lets the scene play out really subtly. You know, he's holding that empty packet of cigarettes trying to feel something and he he just doesn't get it that is also kind of a a metaphor that he can't feel things through items Mm. he has to be touching a person Mm. um even a dead person you know he has to have that human contact that his ability didn't happen until he woke up from this coma that it's human contact i i don't want to switch too quickly here Um, But I do want to mention before we move off of the plot thing that um, the poetic justice in the, uh, were we going to talk about the the ending of the movie at all? Oh yeah, that's fine. We can, can we talk about it now or do you want to talk about it? Oh no, we can go all over the place. We kind of chop and change back and forth all the time. Okay. Um, I just wanted to talk about the ending because ultimately the, the ending, because it's, um, you know, he stops the crime from happening 
at that point, or he doesn't stop the crime from happening, but he stops further crimes from happening by stopping the sheriff's deputy because he's the one that's doing that's the serial killer from killing these women. Um, and that shot of the gazebo where he's seeing the the sheriff's deputy from behind and he's saying all those things, I can't stop it, I can't stop it. That's interesting, I thought, the, the shooting of the gazebo and everything. Then, of course, at the end, when he's trying to stop the presidential candidate as well, he goes and he, he first he asks his doctor, you know, would you stop Hitler? Which I, I find is, you know, it's the ultimate, like, if you go back in time, would you stop Hitler? That yeah. is... I mean, isn't that the most basic question that you would ask? Yeah, it's almost like a trope now, isn't it? Right. Would you kill Hitler? And, you know, the guy is a survivor of World War II, and his his answer is the easiest answer, right? I mean... Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes, I would. (laughs) Uh, So... You know, if if it would stop all the angst from happening, I lived through it. Yes, yeah. I would do it. And so that makes his decision easier to go and stop all this other stuff from happening because he's seen this person who is going to become president start some sort of apocalypse from happening. So he goes to kill him. And I think it's it's poetic that, you know, he thinks he's going to end up killing him himself, which would take him out. But the funny part is that, you know, he goes to shoot him, but the guy ends up shooting himself in the foot, <laughs> which ends up, he ends up going to be taking his own life down the line. But, yeah. you know, he, he, he holds up the kid to shield himself. And that's what ends up taking him down. And ultimately, you know, Johnny ends up losing his own life, yeah. even still. But I just I love that, you know, the mother is shielding her son and then the presidential candidate is trying to shield himself. So there's like a mirror between the two criminals, right? With the shielding yeah. and the the shooting and the you know, he kills himself, the first guy, and then Johnny changes history so that the presidential candidate also kills himself. So I just, I like the mirroring of everything. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, this is pretty much the later third of the film. Right. All this business plays out. And it is, I think it's actually probably, you know, I don't want to say the strongest sequence because I really did like the, the hunting of the serial killer. And that's what I mean. I kind of wish that they had played out the serial killer angle to a grander extent. Right. So that's why I would love that to just be like the first movie. And then the second movie be all about this presidential assassination, right. presidential candidate assassination. But, you know, I, I do really enjoy it. And, you know, it sort of kicks off with, um, you know, the fact that Johnny has moved to a different town. It's a throwaway right. line, too, which, again, I didn't see until the second time I watched it. But he's moved after being shot. And um, he has this relationship with, uh, with a boy, Chris who he tutors Mm -hmm. and um that kind of you know leads to this whole thing about the ice skating thing which leads Mm -hmm. to the fact that he can change what he sees in his visions sensibly changing the future and then that leads into the you know the business with having to shoot stilson right so it's all very cohesive and very plot driven right it's a chain of events literally yeah exactly but i think it just could have been grandized a lot more yeah. Rather than this episodic structure. I do see why they chose the political angle, though, because 
when this movie was made, the political events were very much in the forefront of the news, whereas like serial killers are are more interesting now than mm. they were back then. Well, and at the time the book was written, which was in the mid late 70s mid 70s yeah. yeah so you're talking this is maybe about five or six years on from that as well right. so it all kind of melds together quite well right so it's yeah i mean in the news you had things like it, we were not that far off from watergate um we had lots of political scandals happening you know there were a lot of politicians getting caught with their pants down literally <laughs> um it was just a time of a lot of upheaval, and I think they wanted to kind of play that up. And not just that, but there were things like um, the day after tomorrow. Is that what that was called? The day? Or the day oh, the I Earth don't... stood still? No. No? <laughs> it, was a, it was a TV movie about nuclear war, and um, it was about the bomb dropping on America and how people would survive and all this stuff. And it was a big deal. I mean, it was a huge deal when it played. And, you know, how people were, like, really scared of the bomb dropping on America. It was a Cold mm -hmm. War movie and, like, a huge thing. I think it was The Day After Tomorrow is mm -hmm. what it was called. So there was that whole nuclear bomb issue as well. It was about the same time as this. Mm. So there was that as well. And that, I think that colored that storyline as well. And I, I loved how they envisioned how uh, you would launch a nuclear attack with this uh, touch <laughs> Just screen. a big red button. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the president and some other random, I don't know, senator guy. He wasn't the vice president because the vice president nope. comes to the door afterwards. Right. Um, so some random guy who won't put his hand on it and Charlie Shane just goes, Charlie Shane, Martin Shane just goes... <laughs> crazy on like him. Well, I was yeah. going to say he looks a lot like Emilio Estevez. It, well, like he's a, a cross. Yeah, two, exactly. It's so weird. I was looking yeah. at him. I'm like, God, young Martin Shane looks like Emilio <laughs> Estevez. I know. But um, yeah, so this whole thing about the the screen and then, you know, push some random buttons and then the big red button and there, there you go. Nuclear war. <laughs> yeah. I think in that case, because he hadn't even been elected yet, it was so far in the future that he was simply getting a concept. Yeah. Of what, Because it wasn't really a room either. I know. It was like a cabin or something. Right. It was just kind of a nebulous sort of black area. Yeah. So I think he was just getting a kind of a feeling of what was going to happen. I think they that Stephen King and... The producers and directors and everything kind of did it that way on purpose. Yeah. Um, so that it was abstract. But um, all in all, I, you know, I thought it was a pretty good movie. Um, did you have any final thoughts on uh, on The Dead Zone? I did not. I think we covered everything. We may as well move on to our ratings. What would you give it? I give it eight and a half baby human shields. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I feel pretty comfortable at a seven scissors to the face. Yep. I can see how you being a little younger would, uh, and I, I hate to hammer that home, but we are, we are literally different generations. Yeah. Yeah. You're a millennial and I'm an ex. Yes. I'm of the ex generation, ex gener. But, you know, seven, I, I still think seven's pretty strong. Mm -hmm. For me, you know, it's a good movie, great acting, Christopher Walken, 
Um, oh, he's so Martin great Shane. in this movie, don't yeah. you think? It's uh, it's all, it's almost comforting to know that Christopher Walken's always been the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> I could listen to him read Edgar Allan Poe any day. Of the I week. know. Oh, he that was amazing, <laughs> right? It was so good. Him being a, te- I would love to have him as a teacher. Yeah. Because that's what I played on at the beginning when he um when he says to read Sleepy Hollow and he goes I think you're gonna like it it's about a teacher who gets chased by a headless demon yeah <laughs> he's so good in this he really is good in this yeah. I mean I don't think I've ever seen him in anything where I didn't like him even if it's a bad movie mm. he's good yeah I totally right? agree yeah. and this would have been around the time he won the Oscar for Deer Hunter so yes near. Near yeah. that. Yeah, um, so like a real peak. Slightly after that. Right. I think the deer hunter was early 80s. Right. And this was mid 80s. Yeah. So, yeah. So, this is like a real peak of, of his career. Mm. So, for the month of February, we're talking to some of our listeners who are also some of our Patreon supporters, and we're getting to know them a little bit and finding out their stories of how they came to love Golden Spiral Media. And love us so much that they're willing to help support us in a financial way. So here is the story of Barb and how she discovered Golden Spiral Media. When Lost ended many years ago, I said to a friend of mine, I really need to have another show to watch because I'm going to go nuts. And she said, well, so there's a little show called Fringe. I went out and I bought the DVDs and I began catching up. So I Googled Fringe Podcast, and guess what popped up? That was Golden Spiral Media, the Fringe Podcast. And I started listening to Daryl and to Clint, and I was hooked. And after that, uh, as they say, the rest is history. Then I just started listening to just about everything that you had, although now, with all your offerings, I cannot keep up. All right, so what happened next? Well, Christopher Walken went on to A View to a Kill. (laughs) Yes, he was a Bond villain. He went on to do a gazillion things. (laughs) We got Biloxi Blues, King of New York, Batman Returns, Pulp Fiction, The Prophecy, Last Man Standing, Suicide Kings, Catch Me If You Can, Joe Dirt, Man on Fire, Wedding Crashes, Hairspray, Stand Up Guys, Seven Psychopaths, and Upcoming Joe Dirt 2, Beautiful Loser. Why did you have to put Joe Dirt in there? Really? <laughs> well, because the, the sequel's coming out. <laughs> All right. Still, he's done enough that you didn't have to put that in, right? Well, that's only a portion of what the man's done. He, yeah, I know. Yeah, he's just had a prolific career but again i have to say even the crappiest movie he's good in it so (laughs) i have seen joe dirt and he's good in it that's true so let me talk about brooke adams who plays his his uh the love of his life even if she my husband and i actually had a discussion about this and I said, Whether or not she's Margot Kidder. <laughs> she's not Margot Kidder. And she's not Karen Allen. Uh, she's Brooke Adams. And I, I said I would forgive him if he didn't wait five years if I was in a coma. And he said he would wait five years. And I was like, you so would not wait five years. And so we had this back and forth about it. But she's been in a lot of things. And you might recognize her but not know her. And I'm going to go into this in a minute. Um, she's been in things like Almost You, The Unborn, 
gas, food, lodging, the babysitter's club, at last, the accidental husband, and Gary's Walk. And here's where you might know her from. She is married to Tony Shaloub. And she has been in a lot of things with him, including Monk, Wings, and she's been on Broadway with him, most notably Lend Me a Tenor. So, and that's Lend Me a Tenor, as in a singer, but Lend Me a Tenor, like, in you know, in Britain, tenor. Yeah. See, a tenor. See what they did there? Yeah, works well. So she played a nun on Wings that gets in his cab. Which is a pretty notable role if you watched Wings. And on Monk, she, Monk, where he plays this OCD kind of detective, she um, teases him for being OCD. So they don't actually ever play husband and wife in anything, which I find amusing. <laughs> but she's always like this antagonistic role against him, which is very cool. Um, so it's probably you, a good form of like marital therapy, isn't it? You come on set and make fun of me. If you've ever watched a Tony Shalhoub movie or television show, that might be where you recognize her from. That's pretty awesome. All right, so Tom Skerritt, which this is pretty soon after Alien as well for him. Yes. He went on to Top Gun, The Big Town, Poltergeist 3, Big Man on Campus, Still Magnolias, Night Moves. A river night moves, although wrong night. <laughs> a river runs through, contact, smoke signals, Texas Rangers, tears of the sun, swing, whiteout, and, and most recently he was in Ted. The aforementioned Ted. Yes, he did a cameo there, which was a hilarious cameo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was great in Steel Magnolias. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Oh man, he shoots birds out of trees in the (laughs) while they're preparing for a wedding. Wow, he's really good in it. All right, he's a wacky southerner. Maybe one day. Um, Herbert Lom, who plays the doctor in this movie, very prolific actor. You should look up his credits because he's been in a lot of things, and he's very good in many things. He was in King Solomon's Mines, going bananas. That is a um, Marx Brothers. Is that the Marx Brothers movie? Um, Whoops, Apocalypse, Ten Little Indians, The Mask of the Red Death, The Pope Must Diet, and Son of the Pink Panther. He was actually in a lot of Pink Panther vehicles. I didn't know that. I can imagine him playing the straight man and that kind of thing. He was a side character, but he was a straight man as well. And we also have uh, Anthony Zerbe, who played, uh, was it Roger? Yes, he was the father of the hockey team kid. Uh, He went on to Offbeat, Opposing Force, Still Dawn, See No Evil, Hear No Evil. That's where I recognize him from. Mm -hmm. License to Kill. Uh, Another Bond connection there. There you go. Mm -hmm. Touch, Star Trek Insurrection. I remember him from that. Mm -hmm. True Crime, The Matrix Reloaded. Hmm. I might have to watch that again to try and find him. And the Matrix Revolutions. Oh, I know who he was. He was the the leader of the the people down in Zion, wasn't he? Yep, yep. Yeah, and American. Oh Hustle. yeah, yeah. He was. He had a beard, didn't he? Oh, maybe. I don't know. I, I think he did. Yeah. He and I put a note in that he was in Centennial, which again was a miniseries, but it was a big time hyped miniseries when it came on. Right. Um, and he was also in everything, all the things. He's been in like Law and Order and. 
Star Trek on the TV, not just movies. You know, when you think of those TV shows that have guest appearances, he's been in it. Right. So uh, he was in the Rockford Files, for God's sakes. I mean, he's been on <laughs> all of that. So if you recognize him, he was on something you watched. Yeah. So Martin Sheen. Let's talk about Martin Sheen. Do you want me to do that or do you yeah, want to Yeah, no, you go, you know, you go for it. Okay. He was in another Stephen King movie, Firestarter. Uh, he was in Wall Street with his son. He was in Judgment in Berlin. He was in Cadence, Gettysburg, Fortunes of War, The American President, which I'm going to mention in a minute. The War at Home, Spawn, A Texas Funeral, Catch Me If You Can, Bobby, The Departed, the Amazing Spider-Man, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. By the way, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World is an amazing movie, but you'll only want to watch it once. You can trust me on that one. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> you won't want to like see it a second time. Okay, so here's an interesting fact about Martin Sheen. He was crazy in Apocalypse now, by the way. He has played the president twice in The West Wing and in Kennedy. He has played presidential candidates thrice in this movie, The Dead Zone, Blind Ambition, and The Missiles of October. He has played an aide to the president in The American President, which we mentioned just a minute ago. And he also did narration in the Oliver Stone movie, JFK. So <laughs> he's very political in real life, yeah. which I think might have something to do with that, that he gravitates towards political roles. But presidential roles in particular, apparently... Um, and I loved him in The American President. That is one of my all-time favorite movies. And he is fantastic in that. Lastly, we have Nicholas Campbell, who played uh, Dodd. Frank Dodd. The killer. He went on to Terminal Choice, Rampage, The Big Slice, Naked Lunch, Shadow of the Wolf, No Contest, The Boys Club, The Sleep Room, St. Jude, We All Fall Down, Cinderella Man. Cinderella Man. Speaking of Cinderella Man. Inconceivable. <laughs> Inconceivable Goon and I'm Yours. Yeah. So he, you know, yep. he did pretty um, I I pretty definitely remember too. him from Naked Lunch and Goon as well. Um, never saw Cinderella Man, although that is a very notable movie. Yeah, that's um, Russell Crowe, right? Yep, I think so. But Naked Lunch is a an interesting movie. If you don't like bugs, don't watch it. All right. So if you enjoyed this movie, you may also enjoy Scanners, Videodrome, which is very intense. Yes. I'll say that. <laughs> if, you, if you don't like exploding heads, do not watch Videodrome. Uh, Dead Ringers, The Fly, Rabid, uh, Naked Lunch, Spider, mm -hmm. and Existence. So uh, just a few extra things that we might... Uh, Recommend. I highly recommend The Fly mm. and Dead Ringers. Those are both very good movies. Scanners is okay, too. Scanners is pretty good. Videodrome, I can't give a huge thumbs up to. It's, it's weird. And Naked Lunch is also very weird. <laughs> it's true. I mean, those, yeah. these are other Cronenberg films. So, like right. I said at the beginning, this is very different for Cronenberg, The Dead Zone. Yes. Um. <laughs> but The Fly and Dead Ringers. Yeah. I give a thumbs up to both of those. Okay, so shall we get into this week's Name That Movie? Now it's the time of the show. We like to stump the host. Oh, yeah. We play a little game. And no two are ever the same. And that's how we like it. It's fun and exciting. You might even say that it's groovy. It's Name That Movie.
Okay, so we will be beginning Name That Movie here at The Dead Zone with Christopher Walken. So, Christopher also appeared in this sci-fi comedy that starred Adam Sandler. Hmm. I've got three clues, so feel free to ask for a clue at any time. Hmm. I think I'll need another clue. It co-stars Kate Beckinsale. Oh. See, I, I don't think I've seen it because I hate Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I love him. Uh, sci-fi movie. I can give you uh, another clue, if you like. Yeah, I think I know what it is, but I'm breaching for the name of it. It heavily features a remote control. Oh, I know what it is. I just can't. I just cannot think of the name. It's a one-word title, isn't it? Yes. Do you want the last clue? Crap. Yes. The film is a metaphor about living your life to the fullest. I want to stab myself in the head <laughs> with scissors. You would pick an Adam Sandler movie, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> well, I have to make the connection to the next series somehow. I know. And it's going through okay. Adam Sandler. Okay, the movie is Click. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So we will pick up next week at Click on our journey to the next series. All right. <laughs> well, I, you know, I could almost give it to you because you know it was one word. You just couldn't think of what it was. Okay. Well, no, don't give it to me. Don't let me off. I'll have to do some research. Yeah. I'll have to get connections. Exactly. Get up on your movie trivia. I, I, I will. cannot stump Travis at all. Ever. Okay. He is that good at this game. Well, stupid Adam Sandler. <laughs> All right. So moving on to the triple quote that we put out every week. Last week we put out, who cares about sleep when you can snooze in school? You'll never get to college, but you'll sure look cool. And that is, of course, from Hairspray, the 2007 one. That's a line. Good delivered. movie. Yeah, it's sung by Corny Collins mm-hmm. on the Corny Collins show. <laughs> so good on you. Um, if you guessed it at home. We didn't have anybody tweet the correct answer at us, though. Unfortunately. Losers. I know, because we do put these out on Twitter every week. And this week's quote that will be going out is, I'm a ghost with the most, babe. So nice. if you think you know what movie that comes from, then, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll be putting it out on our Twitter, and you can answer it with the hashtag GSM triple quote so we can find you easily and we can give you a shout on the on the show. Nice. So that'd be awesome. Alright, so rounding it out, shall we be giving out our contact information? Yes, I think we should. <laughs> yes, we should. <laughs> so you can go ahead and leave us some feedback at goldensparrowmedia.com slash feedback. You can type add an email, you can leave a voice message using the SpeakPipe widget, or alternatively, you can call the GSM voice feedback line on 3048372278. We're also on Twitter at TriplecastGSM or follow at GSM Podcast for all things Golden Sparrow Media. You can also like our Facebook group which is facebook.com slash groups slash triplecast. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing. Give us an iTunes review. That's always very helpful. And remember to listen to the Chester's Mill Gazette. Absolutely. During Under the Dome time. <laughs> I'll put this out on the Chester's Mill feed as well. Cool. And there's also, of course, Witness Prophecies yes. on now. While Sleepy Hollow is on the air. Not to mention all the great shows that we do here oh, at Golden Spiral yes. Media. But, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was great talking 
talking about uh, Stephen King. I look forward to ne- next week's film, which is Misery. Misery. Annie Wilkes. Mm, so this should be very interesting indeed. It's been a while since I've watched yes. this movie. And timely because there is going to be a book out related to Ms. Annie Wilkes. Ah, I didn't know that. There you go. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll t- get into that next week. So until next time, I'll just say I'm expected to save lives, ease suffering, and I love people. Therefore... I would have no choice but to kill Hitler. And I wouldn't go down in history with my hand on a scanning screen, but I'd also kill Hitler in a heartbeat. Triplecast is a production of Golden Spiral Media. Intro and outro music is provided by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com. For more information about this or other Golden Spiral Media podcasts, visit goldenspiralmedia.com. For advertising and support opportunities, visit goldenspiralmedia.com slash support. Copyright 2015, Golden Spiral Media.